we heard 300 no's from every single investor as to why this won't work, why will a platform not work, why will the idea won't work. And, you know, but the problem is I've lived and breathed it, my team lived and breathed it, we know it. So with an amazing leadership team, you know, I self-funded that journey and there was no funding. There was sleeping on a couch for a full year during its kickoff. Security is a, a fallacy. Like we tell the regulators we're secure. We tell the customers we're secure because we run a pen test once a year. The reality is you would have to pen test every one of your applications every single day of the week, every day of the week. So 365 days a year, you'll have to run a pen test on every one of the applications. I left the world of software and the corporate side because every dollar I was spending was making the company worse. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fintech Leaders, coming to you from New York City. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. I'm a co-founder of Gilgamesh Ventures, a venture capital fund that backs early-stage fintech entrepreneurs in the U.S., Canada, and Latin America. If you enjoy this conversation, I invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your show so more people can learn about fintech leaders. In this episode, I sit down with Gary Hoberman, CEO and founder of Uncork, a revolutionary tech company that has pioneered a codeless as a service platform to help eliminate legacy code for enterprises. Launched in 2017, Uncork's clients include the largest banks and insurance companies in the world, and the company was last valued at $2 billion and has raised over $350 million from Google, Goldman Sachs, Aquiline, Fin Capital, BlackRock, and many more. Prior to founding Uncork, Gary was Global Chief Information Officer for MetLife, where he oversaw technology across 47 countries. And before that, he was one of the youngest managing directors in city's history. He holds seven patents, six of which are still in use in the finance industry to this day. This episode, we discuss the crisis in the world of enterprise software and why most of the dollars being spent are making companies worse, not better, why Encore believes that launching software isn't the final goal, but instead we should focus on ensuring software improves businesses and doesn't become a legacy burden, challenges with a conventional approach towards cybersecurity and why most companies are not equipped to manage truly secure operations, persevering in the face of adversity, turning 300 no's from investors into a $2 billion company, and a lot more. So Gary, thank you for joining FinTech Leaders. Extremely excited to be having this conversation. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be on here, Miguel, and thank you for the opportunity. I think this is going to be a, a fascinating conversation. Let's start by defining, you know, no code, low code. You say that is not the right way to talk about your category. The way you talk about it at Encore is codeless. So tell us what is codeless and why is it the future of technology? Yeah, thank you for that. And and just, you know, it's great because we're like in like the top 10 insure tech, we're in the top 100 global fintechs. And the reality is we're a technology platform. And so we're in GovTech, we're in healthcare. 
all of those. But fintech is definitely still our primary business. And the most of the business comes from fintech. And these categorizations, like it's one thing to create a startup. Everyone always says like, it's a one in a million chance of getting a startup to a unicorn. And uh, we achieved that back in October, 2020. But to me, after going through this process, I could tell you the startup is one thing, but creating a category is an entirely other thing. And we looked at the world of software. And the reasons why we created software was because it doesn't work. It does not work in any single company. And we go like, I left the world of software and the corporate side because every dollar I was spending was making the company worse. And that's exactly what technology should do. But to your point right off the bat, like, there's a category of software that's been defined by research groups completely incorrectly called low code, no code. And most of those leaders on these categories are a 20 to 25 year old company. Some of them are 40 year old companies and they all focus on how do you build software? And most of those companies are code generators. And, you know, that's right. We could talk more about that and why that's a horrible thing and you should never touch. But the reality is, they all focus on the process of building software faster. And what they don't talk about is building it better, higher quality, building it in such a way that after you create it, that dollar spent left the company better off, not worse off to that point I said earlier. And so to us, the whole way we view software is incorrect. The finish line is never going live with a software package, which is critically important to drive business. It's that when you go live, you're left in a better state. You're not leaving behind legacy and a legacy that's for someone else to take on and worry about. And to me, like that's the difference between Codeless, the category we created, which Codeless is all about leaving enterprises and small, medium, large companies in a better state after they create software future-proof. And that's the vision of Uncork is to empower the world to turn great ideas into future-proof software. And that word future-proof is something you've never heard before. And it's because it never existed before Codeless category. I really like that because I guess it, it it goes to the heart of some of the biggest problems of the financial industry, especially big banks, that it's like a Frankenstein, right? And, and they have technology from different decades, different languages, some of them contemporaneous, others, you know, 30 years apart different approaches and then how do you deal? So you're trying to solve for that. So in the future, that's not a problem for big corporations. Tell us about, you know, the, the a little bit of the inspiration because you, you spent meaningful amounts of time, both, you know, you and I actually worked in the same department at Citigroup and then, then you went also to MetLife, right? Yeah. So I grew up, like I was always a technologist and I loved understanding business problems. To me, the, the beauty of technology is solving problems, world problems. That's the beauty of what it does. And that's magical when it's done correctly. And so literally right out of college, you know, Stern School, business NYU, I'm a New York City based, you know, born and raised, public schools here and never left. And right out of school, I felt my skills and I, you use the word language. We're going to use it a lot, but I view the word language as communication tool. And since fifth grade, I was communicating with machines in every language imaginable, and I was very good at it. And I'm still today in my mind, even as I'm talking to you, I could visualize code and language and what it means. And for those who've never written a C++ procedure, you know, it'll look like ancient Greek language. And it doesn't mean anything. 
It only means something to the person who wrote it. And so I started writing Wall Street. Like, oh, I was like, Wall Street is where it's going to be. It's going to be my first system I built was a New York foreign exchange trading system, started in Bankers Trust. And I was 22 in Bankers Trust. And they're like, hey, we need you to build a money transfer system. And they're like, okay, that's that's a business problem. And it's going to, you know, here's a screen and it's going to be C++ talking to Sybase and all these technologies. And, and I looked at the problem and I'm like, you know, I always view engineers. The first thing a good engineer does is to say, how could I not solve this problem to go on to the next problem? And that mindset is what's critically needed in every fintech, in every large company. It doesn't matter. But that mindset is, how do I eliminate what I'm doing today to take something bigger on? And that's that's my, I've always been that. And I always thought it was lazy. And then I realized that's my superpower. That's the, that's the right way to think. But the best engineers are lazy. They say, how could I do the least I can to do the next problem better? And so when they asked me to solve this, Miguel, I was like, God, you know, here's, here's a business problem. It's really easy to code the screen and code the database. And then I'm like, but if I do a good job, what are they going to ask me to do? They're going to ask me to come back and do another screen and another screen. And then it's going to be an equity screen and fixed income and it's going to be trading. And, and I said, what if I looked at the problem differently and I basically built a system to build the system? How, like, if I could define it all in data terms and click a button and let it generate the code and generate the database. And, and I built that. And it took me longer to build that than probably the screen. But the second it went live, that when the next screen came as a requirement, it took me a day, the next screen, another day. Within six months, every transaction in the private bank was going through a system that I built. But as an engineer, what you're looking at is like, that's great. It's, but as an engineer, what you're looking at is you're generating code language, as you said. And I was generating massive amounts of language from a tool that was a code generator. And the problem was when this big opportunity came to join Smith Barney in 1996, a long time ago. So 30 years ago, I built the first low code code generator tool. And when I joined Smith Barney and, and left to go lead mutual fund sales and performance there, they re couldn't replace me with one person. The amount of code being generated by that system, they replaced me with seven to 10 engineers. So one 22 year old kid, low cost, just got replaced by 10 to 20 in, in, you know, engineers in the long term and a system which was unmaintainable. But as a developer, you don't care. You're like, hey, that's great. I'm going to move on. And that was like, that was the first thing. And then so, so I joined Smith Barney and Miguel, you were at City, you said, right? So what years were you at City? I was uh, about a decade ago. So in 1996, I joined Smith Barney and I stayed 16 years. Solomon, Spin Out Travelers, City. I became a managing director influencing $9 billion to spend every year and managing 500 of the world's top engineers. Like that was the, we were the SWAT team. We were, I was maintaining the trading systems, the critical systems, uptime, security. And, and when the regulators entered our lives in 20, 2008, during the crisis, I was the one presenting with my team to the SEC and OCC and all the regulators. And, and it was an amazing experience because, you know, like city, City and I think in Dublin is where you also work there, which is we opened the IFC there for Dublin and and City itself taught me the most, good and bad. But when you learn, it's always good, right? Learning is like we but like when I entered City, I was leading a team and what I started to realize was those applications we were building, they cost a lot of money to run. Back to what I said earlier. Like so I built the first code generator. And by the way, if you look at this low code, no code categories, 
the top leaders, they're just code generators with the same technology that I did back in 1994. There's no difference. So 30 year old systems are leading a category that should not exist, just to be clear. That's what we see and we know. But the reality was when you think about what we built and what was there, my goal was always to solve the business problem. How do we solve it faster, better, and cheaper? All three, like it said it couldn't be done. How do we do it? And at City, I built six platforms. I have seven patents. All systems are still operational. Some are in Morgan Stanley. Some of them are in City. And we built platforms that enabled businesses to move faster, better, and cheaper. And it's always been the view, but it was always an abstraction play. So back to what I said earlier, how do you eliminate your own job to take on the next job? Well, how do we eliminate the process of programming and language and requirements and gathering and doing all this more efficiently? So like that was the journey. And what was exciting was during that journey, I learned a lot. I probably had about 15 knives in my back every day I went to work. The guy did ask, is that like experience as well? I mean, it's corporate world. What you do know about corporate world, I don't want to scare any of your listeners, but I could definitely tell you stories that, that would scare people. You know, I never go back to work, sure. but like reality was you learn the politics, you learn how to, you know, get stuff done, GSD and, and basically move faster. And then it was in 2012. When a city executive who I respected very much called me up and said, he's at this other Fortune 50 company, MetLife, can you come help? And I joined there as global CIO and suddenly I was managing 10,000 engineers across 47 countries. My budget was $1.2 every year to spend. And I was in the ownership seats and now I got to see things even bigger and bolder. And what I saw, I did not like. I did not. This is... The reason why I left that in 2017 to create on Quark, and I like to say jumped out of C-suite was what I saw was, you know, the more we were investing, the more problems we were creating for the future. And that is so contradictory to what technology is supposed to do for us. And that was why I created on Quark. So Gary, you're telling us that there is a crisis in corporate America, in, in especially in the technology sector. Because I, I have seen plenty of times, be it in a earnings report call or a town hall, some top exec for, let's say, financial services. So let's say a bank, they are challenged. They said, hey, we're staying behind. Silicon Valley is going to eat our lunch. And their response was like, no, we are investing X billion dollars in technology. That's the response, right? Nothing else. And you're telling us you actually, a decade plus ago, you were influencing $9 billion in spend. But what you're telling us is that this is not the right way to do it. There is a crisis and the more corporations invest, the worse off they are for the future. So how is Uncork solving this? Because I, I think this is fascinating. And I think, you know, at City, I remember at one point we... We said we had 35,000 engineers in the company at City, and we were proudly said we had more engineers at Microsoft. And all I kept thinking was, why? Why? Like that's, and it's similar to, I had seen the first introduction from Jeff Bezos and Werner Vogel, CTO of Amazon, back in probably 2007 at City to say, like, here's the future of hosting. They didn't call it cloud. Cloud computing didn't exist yet, but hosting. And you know, the response was a consulting survey to basically prove that we were more efficient than they will be at infrastructure when no company in the world should ever manage infrastructure. 
unless you're in New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ on the street, there is no value to you to ever managing a server with physical storage and devices. And it just doesn't make sense. And it's it's a strategic play. But let's we go. I think let's let's have a little fun here. So I'm gonna pretend let's say we're back in the city. So you're in global transaction services, you're my client. I'm gonna be your technology CIO. And you just launched a brand new accounts receivable product, a credit card. And and let's just say you need to create a contact us page. And the reason why I say contact us is every listener has used a contact us page, seen a contact us page. And it's to me, it's the hello world example in technology. It's the simplest thing you could ever do. And so, so let's go through like, pretend to be the business for a second and you come and like, you want to build a contact us page. What would you describe on that page? How would you describe it to me using language, English as a language? Gary, excited. You have decided to work with us. For our first project, we're going to build a contact us page for your company to help your customers get in touch with you. So first things first, we need to understand your business requirements. So we know the exact purpose of this page, which fields you'd like us to add, like email, name, phone number, and anything else. Are you ready to get started? So stepping back, what you're doing is you're going to give me a Word document with a, you know, business requirements document describing, here's the purpose, here's the goal. I'm assuming you would describe the fields like first name and last name and email address and phone number. And you'd say, here's what we're going to do with the data, right? In turn, you're probably going to create test plans and say, here's some data we're going to use to test plan and here's the results we expect. And maybe that will integrate into your CRM solution. Now, as a technology partner, I'm going to go back to Miguel and say, okay, Using English, I'm going to give you back a functional requirements document, a technical specification document, or if we're agile, I'm going to give you back the stories and epics and sprints and break that into the process. And the reality is I'm going to give you back a description of what you asked me for in my technology terms. Architecture diagrams, I'm going to meet with my enterprise architects. I'm going to get review. I'm going to go meet with my security team and get the review done. I'm going to schedule QA time. I'm going to go to the infrastructure team and say, I'm going to need a new database here and server. And here's the way. And and the reality is after about three months of what we just described, the prep work, I'm going to go ahead and then start the build process. And a contact us page, the technologist listening will know this, the business might not, but a simple contact us page is a presentation to the front end. It's HTML. And it's HTML that describes a field. And an email address is interesting because it's going to say, hey, there's a field to collect email address. It's, you know, the name is the labels email. That's it. But the reality is then that the browsers don't understand email. So we're going to have to then write JavaScript, a language, a different language in HTML. And that JavaScript is going to go ahead and now validate the email address. Does it have a dot? Is it at sign? Is it formatted correctly? And it's going to have maybe 30 lines of code to validate an email address for that one field. And then there's going to be a submit button that posts this data to a server. No, we need a server now. So we've got a server, we've got a database, we've got an API. We created the data storage. We've defined the data fields. You know, we've got an email address as a bar car or data type. It's great. And now the reality is we don't trust what just got posted to the server because anyone, I could show you in two seconds how to open a browser and change the value of a field and bypass the validation. So we have to repeat that Java code now validation for email address in a different language, Java or .NET. 
And the reality is now we've now replicated that functionality to check email address and just focusing on email address validation because everyone understands that. And and we're going to replicate it in a different language. And we're done. We're, we've got all this code written, but we're not done. And this was the, the fundamental aha moment for me. We're not done because all that language we wrote, java.net, JavaScript, HTML, DDL, SQL, all that. There are five different languages I just said that we needed for a contact us page. All that language can't run. See, humans invented 9,000 programming languages to speak to machines. Machines don't understand a single one of those. Machines don't. They're binary. They understand data. They understand. So humans invented in turn compilers and interpreters to take the language that's been written, which looks like ancient Greek. So we, we created a cryptic syntax language. We invented it, humans. We then had to invent compilers and interpreters to change that into binary, change it into something that's ones and zeros the machine understands. And those compilers and runtimes, it's not one. There's going to be one, which is the browser, which you can't even choose. HTML, JavaScript, is it Chrome, is it Safari, is it Edge, which browser are you using, Firefox. There's going to be one, which is the database. And the database you choose today will be end of life tomorrow, easily. There's going to be one, which is the middle tier, the language of Java.net. Every one of those is going to go end of life. And then so you're now dependent on five or six different runtimes. And each runtime itself isn't a single runtime. Each runtime itself is actually something which is insecure, unreliable, unmanageable, can't be upgraded. And all you know about that runtime is it's going to have an end of life. It's going to disappear sometime in the future. And it's going to have vulnerabilities and technical debt, and it's going to be issues. And the biggest thing I'm describing to you is we go live. Miguel, congrats. Here's your contact us page. Are you happy? Yes, you're happy. It went live. It was painful, but we got there. We're, we're great partners. The second you go live, your issues now start. And so what I mean by that is suddenly it's live. Okay, we've just taken language, which is written by someone, a human, a compiler, which was written by a human, and we've exposed it directly to the outside world, the elements, the hackers. We've exposed it to the performance issues, the reliability issues, the environment issues. When are we doing upgrades? What are we doing downtimes? What are we doing? How do we do a call center help desk? How do we... and the reality is every, we just built a contact us page. That contact us page, if you step back, looks like a unique cell with its own nuclei and atom. And there's, and by the way, there was a business partner next to you. Your, your peer just built a contact us page. It looks nothing like the contact us page we just built. It's in different compilers, different runtimes. Maybe it's on the mainframe. Maybe it's in .NET. Maybe it's in Azure. Maybe it doesn't. So. If you look at a world of applications, every application built is a unique cell, a snowflake, nothing in common with the application next to it. The result when you're a CIO leading the technology or you're a CEO running the business is 80% of your technology spend today, guaranteed, is doing nothing but keeping the lights on in those cells. That's the absolute world. And the best case I could show you is we went live with the contact us page. We're going to have to now hire ethical hackers because it's exposed to the world. And once a year, if it's a critical application, twice a year, if it's a high criticality, you and I are going to spend money to hire hackers to try to break into that contact us page. And this is the best example. We could use performance, but security is critical for everything. And so companies basically say, hey, once a year, 
The way we are secure is at the end of the day, we have a report showing that we hired third parties to try to break in and they tried and here are their issues. Now, they're going to come back with findings. They're going to come back and say, here's some low findings, medium, high, critical critical findings. We have to fix the critical in 90 days and maybe the medium in like 180 days and the lows forget about. But the reality is they're going to come back with findings for that application. But that application, let's take Citi's case, is one application out of 10,000 that's being run. And those findings that come back from the contact us page after three weeks go to you, the business owner, go to me, the CIO. And the reality to those findings is first off, by the time it takes three weeks to run the hack, by the time it started, there's an average of 600 new vulnerabilities exposed each week, almost 100 a day. So by the time they finished the vulnerability assessment in three weeks, there's 1,800 brand new vulnerabilities they didn't test for. They didn't exist by the time it started. Now, by the time we rerun the, the security test again a year later, there'll be, what, 30,000, 40,000 new vulnerabilities that are out there. And the biggest problem is this. The biggest problem is we to get these findings back and we resolve that. We only resolve that one contact us page. One, what about all the other applications, the other 10,000 applications that are in Citigroup today or any company, name the company? And we don't take those findings and go fix all those. So the reality is, first off, like security is a, a fallacy. Like we tell the regulators we're secure. We tell the customers we're secure because we run a pen test once a year. The reality is you would have to pen test every one of your applications every single day of the week, every day of the week. So 365 days a year, you'll have to run a pen test on every one of the applications and you'd have to be able to turn around their fix that they find to every other application daily. You'd have to be able to do nightly deployments for every application. That world, think about the cost it would be and burden on a company to run what I just said. And yet that's the only way to prove you're secure. That's the only way to really truly be secure. And I think that that's what we've changed. That's the world we changed. So if the way current companies manage their security is, is not good, to put it mildly, and it's a fallacy, how do we fix this, right? What, what's the approach that you have taken? So what we did at Unquark and why I left the corporate world was because the thing that I loved most was language and communicating with machines. And it's the thing that was causing these problems. It was, we humans invented language to speak to a machine that doesn't understand language. So we invent compilers. We needed to eliminate the runtimes. We needed to eliminate the language, the nuance, the syntax. We needed to open it up so everyone could understand it and make it democratized. Anyone could create it, anyone could read it. You don't need to speak ancient Greek. So when we created Uncork, first thing we did was we DNA sequence software, Miguel. And this is exactly what Uncork is. So Uncork spent the last six years DNA sequencing every aspect of software from the presentation to the workflow, to the rules, to the integration, to the ETL, to the data storage, to the rules and well-based access controls, to the way we actually transmit data in and out to the network, to the storage, every aspect of software, we DNA sequence it into data, understandable data. And so to us, Miguel, your contact us page, it's literally something if I showed it to you, it would be, I've got an email address and the data type is email. Because we understand the code to validate an email on the client side and the code to validate it on the server side and the storage of an email address, it's a component. So we've coded a building block that you use 
in order to say email that generates every aspect from the mobile presentation to the desktop, the tablet, to headless, doesn't matter, an API. But the reality is we maintain that code. And then what we've done critically important, why codeless is the new category and why codeless is the future of all technology, there's no doubt in my mind, is simply because we've eliminated the language and the compilers. And by eliminating the language, we don't generate code, we don't inject code, you can't write code. Therefore, everything you're describing is data, pure data, democratized data. Data is timeless. Data doesn't age. Your business IP, that contact us page, your trading system for GTS, your accounts opening system, all of that's described in data. The most complex rules all described in data that anyone could write, anyone could read, anyone could understand. And then what Encore did is we built the first codeless service layer. And the way we describe this is there's cloud computing and then there's codeless service on top of it. So Uncork is a cloud agnostic, meaning Microsoft, Google, Amazon, like we've got them all. And you could, you know, license it right through those. But the reality is we can migrate from different cloud providers in a click of a button. So you're not cloud dependent. No one ever should be cloud specific or cloud dependent, which is why we don't like Microsoft strategy and lock-ins and the way they, they focus that. We are very much about agnostic. And, but we work with Microsoft very well and we, we're hosting there today. But specifically, what I would say is our codeless service layer is an interpreter, high speed, high performance interpreter that could take that data definition and render it into software, not generate software, not compilers, not running. So the biggest thing, Miguel, is for the first time in history, every single business, every industry from the federal government and we're FedRAM certified through financial services with Goldman Sachs as our first banking customer, through insurance with Marsh and Liberty and others, through healthcare, CVS and you know Fortune 5 company, everywhere around the world, every cloud, every one of these is using the same runtime for the first time. Just if you think about that, their engine, that that's the bubble around their software protects them. It's the engine that renders a software into something meaningful to the customer. It's the engine that the customer interacts with and the hackers try to break into. For the first time, everyone's running on the same code base, which we maintain. And what that does right off the bat, it means that when Goldman Sachs runs their pen test, it's benefiting every one of the other Encore customers around the world. And when you know Marsh runs it the next day, it actually is testing Goldman again and every other customer. And then in the next day, CVS runs a pen test. Great. It's testing both Marsh, Goldman. And so the reality is we're seeing a spot where we are being pen tested, vulnerability assessment, ethically hacked, performance tested, load tested constantly. And we could see it being multiple times a day across multiple cloud providers with multiple hackers, which would mean the engine becomes the most secure ever infrastructure in the world to the point that even when quantum computing comes out and suddenly you've got cryptographic issues with keys and what do I do with all my 256 bit keys that are out there? It's a single change in Uncork to basically upgrade the security across every application in the world. So if you got married in New York City, your books and records is New York. You used Uncork. We married 38,000 people lesser. If you received food from anyone in COVID, we delivered 2 million orders of food to people. If you walk into a hospital, Mamani's Medical Center in Brooklyn, we have a patient front door with digital front door, life and death. Like, And the goal is, imagine a world where every requirement across every business, across every function is consolidated into a single place and built once. And what that means is we on Cork, 
we're responsible for technical debt, not you. You know, when log4j security vulnerability hit everyone, it was a big thing. It probably took every company three to six weeks to resolve. We were in an hour, we told every customer, you're not impacted. You're, you're not. And by the way, if we were using that library, we would have fixed you by now, even as we told you this. So we've upgraded, you know, Miguel, think about version upgrades of software. Have you ever been through like an Excel upgrade or a SharePoint upgrade or like any Microsoft product or even Oracle, or you can name the vendor, but any of these products, when you do an upgrade, it's so freaking painful. It's costly. It's painful. Salesforce upgrade. It's an entire rewrite of your application. It costs millions. And so we've upgraded every customer 320 times. We've deployed a version upgrade to that on-time engine in the past three years. So over a hundred upgrades a year, we've done to security, functionality, reliability, performance without the customer even knowing it occurred, no downtime. They didn't even know it was coming. And to me, it's not about like the going live. The finish line isn't launching software. It's about once we're live, we're able to reduce your expenses 65% over what you're paying today. Imagine 80% of your expenses and keeping lights on. Imagine getting 65% of that back. What could you do with that? Do you need 35,000 engineers? No, you don't. You don't need to add, you could actually reallocate those to building the new algorithms of the future. You know, generative AI, you know, another great topic. And so like, that's kind of how we view the world. And that's what Codeless means to us. That's why we created the company. Yeah, and I actually meant to ask you about generative AI because it seems like in the last nine months, everyone in technology and outside of the technology industry has woken up to AI, specifically generative AI, but I, I'm guessing this is nothing new to you. What's your take here? Yeah, I mean, in 1994, I tried to use neural nets to predict OTB off-track betting racing. It did not work, right? I, but I tried. Compute power wasn't there. I got to blame the computer. It wasn't my model. But the reality is it's not new AI, but it is magical, back to the point. Like there is what it's capable of doing today is something that most people never dreamed would come this early. And in places of replacing language, I mean, its purpose is to understand language intent and interpret that into new language. If you think about everything you're seeing with AI today, ChatGPT, it's understanding a language, translating to intent and generating a new language from it. So in those cases, the use cases in call centers and operations and communicating with customers and employees and, you know, performance reviews, and, and there's going to be amazing use cases that I'm excited to see come to life. There's no question. But in many business applications, data will be the most critical dependency. And I'm still, when I go to a doctor's office, I still get handed a pen and paper today. So Gen AI is not going to help there. Like that's not going to, let's fix the processes, fix the procedures. That's what we do with Uncork, by the way. We would say we are the solution to get clean data from every one of your processes and systems and workflows and every operations out there. And that's the way we see our position in that. But the area of Gen AI, which I dislike the most, is back to the whole storyline of Codeless. And back to 1994, me as a 22-year-old kid generating a, creating a code generation tool that couldn't be supported after I wrote it. Like that's, the reality is generative AI should never write programming language. It should never ever write a single line. And it scares the hell out of me that 40% of GitHub is actually produced by machines. And it scares to me that they think that the business will ever be able to communicate to an AI to generate code. 
And the reason why I say that, because going back to my cell analogy, it doesn't fix the problem. You might be able to talk to ChatGPT and say, give me a contact us page. And it gives you all the code to do it. It does. I've tried it, by the way. It does. It's great. But that code has to be deployed. It has to be deployed into runtimes that you don't own, you don't control. What happens when the email address format changes in five years? It'll be another Y2K moment. You have to open up every JavaScript validation on the client side and every Java code and .NET on the server side and change the format of email address. In our world, it's a single change and everyone's fixed. One change and we're done. No more Y2K moments of the future. So I hate the idea that Gen AI will ever generate code or write code. And code should never be written because machines don't understand code. So why the hell do we ever think we need to actually generate code? Like that's just a, it's a fallacy. It's just, and so where we are seeing Gen AI in practice today with customers is there's an amazing technology out there that it's actually a company called Rhino.ai that we've been working with very closely and partnering, but they're able to take legacy technology. Imagine 8,000 applications in a bank or 250 applications in an insurance company, some Java, some COBOL, some assembler, some, some using technologies that are low code, no code, some using ERP solutions, some CRM solutions. Their technology has been trained, the, the large language models, in reversing all that into Unquark. Imagine cloud migration stops, and it should stop, by the way. Anyone doing a cloud migration project that's listening, stop it immediately, and you could talk to us. Imagine cloud migration is, I'm going to lift all the crap that's been built for the last 10, 20, 30 years in whatever format language it's used, whatever tools we use, I'm going to lift it up and refactor it into clean data to run it on Quark's engine. And therefore, I'm going to basically end all these 80% keep the lights on in my legacy. To me, that use of Gen AI is magical. It's the exact use. So I view a world in five years where there's no more programming. Like I, I did this, the guy was on stage last week in Australia in a big conference. And I, I asked the question, how many, raise your hand if you think in five years, there will not be a programmer writing language in your company. I was the only one that raised my hand. And I said, let me tell you why there won't be. And the reason is because we finally have a solution to legacy. We could move all of your legacy, all of your compute into Uncork. And it's now cloud agnostic, predictable, secure, reliable, and able to be maintained by the business not ancient Greek speaking engineers. And that's the biggest change I would say. That, that is definitely exciting. So Gary, we have been talking about established corporations, but I spent probably most of my day talking to early stage startups, pre-seed and seed companies who are just starting to build their architecture, right? And many of them will go on to become large corporations. But they're using a more traditional approach. Either they're using, you know, the, what you're describing is not the right approach. They're using a language to build their technology. How should early stage startups, CTOs, early engineers be thinking about this? Yeah, so it's a great question. So we've seen several technology startups build their entire platform on Uncork. So you shouldn't know we exist. You know, like I mentioned, if you go to newyorkcity.gov and you get married, it's us. You shouldn't know that. You shouldn't care. So we are an enabler and the platform and the technology and the data storage. That's it. That's where we're a platform. With that said, our view of the world of fintechs, imagine creating a fintech today where you don't need a CTO or a single engineer because you've got the business idea. 
So we've now seen two entire startups launch, one, one in healthcare, one in HR, workspace and ESG. And these two startups have launched without a single engineer in the entire company because they're using Uncork. And the coolest thing, Miguel, was one of these storing confidential HIPAA data, client data, performance data. One of these went through a third-party ethical hack assessment penetration test. It's the first time in history where the report came back zero low, zero medium, zero high, zero critical. I've never seen zeros before, ever. I don't think if you ask a single business or technology leader, they will say they've ever seen that before because this is the way I would say it. Start building your startup, your idea on the same platform that Goldman Sachs is trusting for their technology. Start building it where every other company has left off. Instead of starting with a language like Rust or Python or Java or .NET, it doesn't matter, with a runtime that you don't control, you can't maintain, you don't own, you can't choose. And it's a whole different world to create the startup. And it's an exciting world. And the, the thing about compliance that I learned throughout banking is I remember the vision of, I think it was GCP, Google Vision, when it first got announced back five to 10 years ago, it was, we're going to have at the infrastructure level, all the compliance you need to run a bank. You know, everything at the infrastructure level, the SOC 2, the compliance, the privacy shield, everything. And so they can't. No infrastructure provider, no hyperscaler, no GPU provider or creator like NVIDIA. They can't do it at the infrastructure level because it's the applications that are least secure and the point of entry. It's the applications that everyone interfaces with, not the infrastructure. Yes, it's important to have secure infrastructure. That's a given. But it's the applications where all the exposure is done. It's where the data leakage is done. It's where... So what we built is we built into Uncork at the protective bubble level. The engine level is what I would call it. We built all the compliance there. So if you're building a fintech startup today on Quark, you're starting with SOC 2, Type 2, Privacy Shield, GDPR compliance, Privacy 2020, HIPAA compliance, ISO compliance, WORM compliance. And we were so proud to get FedRAMP certification done for the federal government, who is our customer, in record time. I think we went through 700 security controls faster than any company in history. And it's because all the banks already put us through all of the, the hell to store their data every criteria. And it's because we know this, we live this, I live this, my team lives this every day, day in and day out. So we know it. And so as new regulations come out, we put it at one place and all customers are now for the first time in history, compliant. Does that make sense? I'm just curious from a conceptual point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. And I think people are going to be excited to hear about this conversation because it's something so different that most of the world is not used to hearing or, or even thinking this way. Before we go, because we're running out of time, Yari, how did it feel transitioning from big corporations to having worked in the space for almost 25 years to one day finding yourself in probably a small office with a small team and just having to build from scratch? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. So, you know, to go from 10,000 employees that work for you overnight to one, you know, and just the, the group, it was incredible because to me, it's about, you know, Instagram was created with three engineers and was worth a billion dollars. It was the, it was the moment where like people looked at this and go, how did they do that? They did it with cloud computing. Cloud computing must be real. That's what we are now with Encore. All the companies using us are at the point to go, I get it. 
I see the future. We have two large enterprises who have said, we believe in the Coalesz vision at the senior CEO level. Like that's the message we want to hear. That's it. But the truth was, as a CIO of a Fortune 50 company, I am flown, you know, around to hear pitches from every startup, every of the best VCs in the West Coast, you know, the Google and Microsoft executive briefing centers and oracles, and you meet all the executives and you hear everything they're doing. And so I left the corporate world with the connections, the network. And I also left it with, you know, it was an interesting time in my life for sure. So divorce had started right before creating a startup, which meant any money I had saved during my career was gone, locked. I had to basically build a startup through credit cards. Credit card transfers, balance transfers, sleeping on a couch. Very different than probably what every listener would think. So I had, and I counted on getting funding because, hey, I, I am, who better to solve this world than someone who'd spent 25 years managing it, living it, knows it. And instead, what I heard from every VC, the top names, the minus investors was, you're too old. If you worked a single year in a city group, you can't create a company. You're institutionalized. You're not entrepreneurial enough. You haven't, even though I had eight patents in production and running and like, it didn't matter. Even if I was like in Fortune Magazine for CIO and new face, it didn't matter. It was, and so we heard 300 no's from every single investor as to why this won't work. Why will a platform not work? Why will the idea won't work? And you know, but the problem is I've lived and breathed it. My team lived and breathed it. We know it. So with an amazing leadership team, you know, I self-funded that journey and there was no funding. There was sleeping on a couch for a full year during its kickoff. And, you know, when we, the Goldman Sachs led our series A with, you know, over a 220 million valuation just a year or two later, and then capital G led our series B and bringing us up to almost 700 million valuation. And then BlackRock led our series C with a 2 billion valuation. All it is, is the credit to the team around me. It's the talent around me. It's my senior, it's my founding team that helped me drive this. It's the, the team we have today and every employee. And it's, so we took, Miguel, we took every quote from every investor, including the, you are too old, including not a terminal, and we put it on a wall in our office. So if you ever visit our headquarters in Flatiron, New York City, there's a 20 foot wall with every quote written on it without telling you who. I want to see that wall. And it's, and that's our inspiration. Everyone needs inspiration. That's our inspiration. And today, like we are so proud to be in the finals in almost every company against Microsoft's entire platform stack. And it's, it's really becoming Uncork versus Microsoft in the biggest companies. And the truth is we host on Azure, so it shouldn't be a conversation. It should be it's Uncork and Microsoft and let's, but the reality is, you know, what company to punch higher up against in Microsoft and we're winning, which is the coolest part. <laughs> and so like, to me, like I see a day where Uncork is bigger than every hyperscaler because we're the ones deciding compute. We're the ones deciding, we're the most secure system, we're the ones deciding compute and where it runs and which cloud provider is the best for your workload and let's move it automatically to there. And that's something which no one else has a vision of. An inspiring story, Gary. And before I let you go, why is New York the best place to build a technology company? I mean, look, I, I remember, you know, going to school and like, you know, three feet of snow. And of course, everyone says that. And you're like jumping, you know, you can't get the like, I'm walking to school. And to me, there's a grit and a passion among New Yorkers combined with the needs of Wall Street needs of the, the way the money's moved. And so to me, 
I don't see that grit and passion on the West Coast at all. I don't see that drive. I don't see that direction. I don't see... So the two most important values when we created Encore, we defined for our culture of our company were, you know, it was optimistic and it's basically fearless. So those two together mean we know we could change the world. We are changing the world and we're fearless in doing it. And we're going against like, like we've told the largest banks, no, we won't work with you. And it's because what we saw happening inside of there was they weren't ready for us. We can't waste our time. And so imagine like, you know, like that's a startup world, which, you know, you have to be fearless to say no to a customer. And now they're all customers, by the way, those, those same. So it's an amazing place to be. But again, I appreciate this. It's been amazing, Miguel. Thank you for the time and really, really great getting to know you and your audience. Thank you, Gary. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this great episode with Gary Hoberman, CEO of Encore. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. And if you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, just drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.